Welcome to the Connected Spirit Podcast. I'm your host, Courtney Dawson. I'm a professional psychic medium and mentor. In this show, I'll be sharing my personal experiences as a psychic medium and discussing my journey of mediumship development. But that's not all. I'll also be bringing in amazing guests to talk about fascinating topics like near-death experiences, spiritual awakening, astro traveling, encounters with beings from different dimensions, energy healing, and more. Together through open and honest conversations, we'll change the way we think and support one another. My hope is that these discussions will help you connect with your own spirit and feel seen and validated in your own unique experiences. So join me as we dive into inspiring conversations that push boundaries and encourage personal growth. Get ready to explore new perspectives and embrace the power of connection. Hello, everybody. So excited to have you listen in on today's episode of the Connected Spirit Podcast. I have a guest who has been on my radar to have come on the show and talk to you about something so personal, so unique, and so completely transformative. And her name is Dr. Lenore Matthew. She has a PhD and she is a has an MSW. She's a doctor of social work with expertise in psychic awakenings, trauma and grief, as well as research, evaluation, and evidence-based practice. Her psychic ability suddenly opened when her late husband suddenly passed. And previously, Dr. Matthew worked as a research and evaluation specialist with international humanitarian organizations including the United Nations. Huge. Today, she blends her background as a researcher and social worker with her intuitive abilities to help other people open up to their abilities, especially after the loss of a loved one. And her overall goal is to normalize psychic abilities and awakenings, especially for people who are opening up to their abilities by way of trauma and grief, and to help people find healing by learning to connect with their abilities. And she does workshops, online programs, original research, all kinds of stuff. A lot of Dr. Lenore Matthews' work has been featured by Mental Health America, the National Alliance on Mental Health Illness, and the Mighty Community for Mental Health Awareness, among other outlets. And so excited to have Dr. Matthew here. So excited to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. And I am such a fan of you and your work. And you were one of the first mediums I started following when my abilities opened up a few years ago. So it's like, I'm, I'm a huge fan. So I'm, I'm honored and a bit starstruck as well right now. Oh gosh. Well, don't be, (laughs) don't be. I always tell people I'm a human first before I'm a medium, you know? (laughs) Absolutely. So honored to have you on the show today. And you have done so much work to promote the the support that's needed for people who are experiencing you know spiritual awakenings after the loss of a loved one and recently you were in Norway at the 65th annual parapsychological did I say that right parapsychological yeah okay association convention in Oslo Norway and then you did a presentation based on some research that you've done entitled it's chaos and it's peace Unexpected Mediumship Awakenings After the Loss of a Loved One and Implications for Mental Health Practice. Can you talk a bit like where the inspiration for this research that you did came from? Yes, absolutely. Oh my goodness. So where do I start? There's so many different avenues here. So the research really came intuitively and organically. The work that I used to do, so when I was at the UN and other nonprofits before in my academic work, our lines of research tend to be very 
deliberate and very planned. And we have, you know, a five-year research plan. And these are the grants that we'll apply for. And here's how our research team will support us. This research that I started doing um, on awakenings and intuitive awakenings and, con and connection with our loved ones, that was born from my own experience. And so my husband passed in 2020. And the night that he crossed was my first mediumistic experience with him. I realized after I began to understand my experiences that I'd actually begun having precognitions and predictive dreams and you know clairvoyant visions several months before he crossed. After he passed, I mean, his, his visits were sometimes multiple times a day. Sometimes there would be some days where he wouldn't visit, but he would give me information that I could validate and verify. And then within a month of him starting to come to me, other spirits started coming to me with verifiable messages that I could pass on to their loved ones. And they were usually people that I never actually met when they were in the physical. So this is kind of the context for this. When this opened up, I mean, it's in the context of extreme shock, extreme trauma. I wasn't even grieving yet. It was about a year before I started grieving. It was just absolute traumatic shock of losing my spouse, losing my best friend, losing myself in so many ways. And then all of a sudden I'm having these experiences. Like it was just information overload. I turned to mediumship research and everything that I could find to try to understand what was happening with me. And, you know, when I was younger, I was really into like Goosebumps books and, you know, Are You Afraid of the Dark? And, you know, I'd watch like the Travel Channel and they have these like haunted places. And I'd always been really fascinated by it, but it was, you know, it was entertainment. It's Hollywoodized. We know how it's like sensationalized and has the eerie music, right? And that's so not how spirit is, as I understand now. But I was always kind of fascinated by it. And I've always been very sensitive and intuitive, but I never thought anything beyond that. As I was desperate to understand what was happening to me, I scoured books on by mediums on mediumship. I really leaned into empirical research that I could find. And now I understand there's a massive research base on after-death communications, et cetera. But at that point, it was, you know, like Dr. Brian Weiss, who, who was educated at Yale, worked at Mount Sinai, psychiatrist, and, and does past life regressions. And so anything kind of paranormal that I could get my hands on that also was scientific that I could trust. I didn't find anything in the work that I was reading on what I was going through. So suddenly as an adult, after the death of a loved one, now I'm able to do this. Books by famous mediums and celebrity mediums tended to be like, you know, I noticed this from when I was three years old and I saw spirits when I was a kid and this has always happened to me. And so as, as I was reading these books, like I could see my story a little bit in it. I also had no idea that you develop your skills and then you start to actually, yes, you can see things like aura and spirit, and all these things as you develop. I didn't know that and that wasn't really discussed in the books. So I would kind of, you know, self-negate. And so I would read these things like, okay, you know, I kind of see myself in this, but no way am I, you know, a medium. This is crazy. This is wild. No way. Fast forward several years, I started training as a medium and we can't get into that of how that happened, but I started training a medium. And that's where I started meeting other people like me who all of a sudden we were engineers, doctors, nurses, stay at home parents, you know, students whomever, and we're in this class of mediumship development. We're like, I don't know why I'm here, but I swear my person who passed away is still here. And that was the impetus for the research. 
And so the research came back to me. So it was about two and a half years after my husband passed and it was last fall. So what we're in November 20, I always have to look at calendars because time is just bizarre after grief and you don't really know what time is anymore. So it's November, 2023 now as we're recording. So it was last September, 2022. And I had been working then as a medium, I was seeing clients and I knew that it was shifting and I knew that I wouldn't continue on that path. Much like as a social worker, I was never you know, bound to always be a therapist. I was going to go back to, I do more macro level work. I do education. I do teaching. I do research. And so I just put it up to spirit. And I said, I don't know what's coming. So give me what's next. And they dropped on my lap, this research that I'm doing now. That is incredible. And when we're inspired by the spirit world, don't you find like in your experiences, Lenore, it happens so quickly, so fast, like (laughs) In, like, it could be an hour, five minutes sometimes after you set an intention and it's like, it's given to you sometimes on a silver platter. Sometimes it takes a long time to get there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It can, things shift so quickly. And it's really when we have those experiences, we go, I can't even make this stuff up. There's something more to this than just me. And I really feel like that is such a sign from the world of spirit saying, we're here, we got you, we are, we're in this together, let's do it. So what were the main points that you were wanting to look at in your research? Mm. So it was really, again, guided by and informed by my own experience and then the experience of the peers and eventually colleagues and clients that I met of, there were really two aims, ascertain this experience. So determine, identify what's happening with this experience. Help us understand across people, across lived experiences, what is it like when all of a sudden we're able to talk to our loved one after they've passed? So understand kind of what is the nature of the experience? And then look at how does this experience affect us over time, but also in the grief process. So our mental health, our our grieving experience, our will to live in many ways. Yeah, and I had to almost like let that land because that's the big take home of this. There's a lot of research on after death communications, which I label mine someday. I call it mediumistic awakenings because it's very much an interactive dialogue, even if we don't necessarily understand it as such. It takes the unpacking and the education piece around it to understand what we're going through. But it's not only being, you know, kind of a standalone recipient, we're active agents in the interaction. And so I really wanted to understand what is this lived experience like across people, A, to normalize it for us, to normalize it for people who are going through it. It is so common. I mean, I've posted this on my social media, but the Pew Research Center, which is a very reputable nonpartisan think tank, they did a study in February of this year on after death communications and, you know, what they didn't necessarily call it that, but it's, you know, what happens if we sent someone on the other side? And this was across religions including agnostics and atheists, and 53% of adult Americans of their survey of somewhere it was around 6,500 people that were surveyed in a representative population, uh, 53%, I'm sorry, 52% of the population at some point in their life has received a communication from their loved one who's passed away. It's so common, and yet we don't talk about it, and we don't talk about it in the grief support and mental health space. Why is that? In your opinion, in your opinion, why is that? I think it's because Mm -hmm. it's it's taboo and it's seen as quote unquote crazy. 
and is being or it's seen as oh it's just grief or oh you poor thing like oh your husband died you must be really looking for anything to cling to and you know I got some of that of course I did and then it's the realest thing that you've ever experienced and we know this as people who work in spirit but it's like it's all there's a sensation there's a physiological sensation that we have when we see you know those numbers on a license plate and it's like I know that that's you know whatever those particular numbers are I know they're meant for me or a dream that's so vivid and visceral and information is given to me that helps me make a decision that leads me towards a better life or, I mean, obviously, as a medium, then practicing in development circles, I mean, we're just inundated with evidence and abundance yeah. of evidence. But it's so mediumship and spirit communication, almost going back to what we said before about, you know, the eerie music, and it's like, oh, it's so creepy, and it's goosebumps. That's how the general public, including those of us who suddenly lost someone, understand mediumship. And so it's very sensationalized. It's not seen as evidence-based. It's not seen as helpful. It's seen as, you know, kind of out there, woo-woo. And if anything, it might be harmful if we put it in a mental health perspective. I mean, there's misdiagnosis all over the place. And so a big part of my work, and this is why I'm so vocal about what's happened to me. It's like, if we need a sacrificial lamb, put me out there, that's fine. I would gladly do this as a mental health practitioner myself to say, we don't need sacrificial lambs. This is happening to so many of us. And yeah. the more that we talk about it, I mean, again, over half the population is experiencing this. And also we don't necessarily understand what we're receiving as being a spirit communication. So that kind of adds to the sensationalism or just kind of the oversight. It's, yeah. you know, we don't know how to tune in. And so that's another part of my work is like giving credence to those check-ins from our loved ones. When your hair stands up on your arm, yeah. maybe take a moment and breathe into the space as it is right now. Yeah. <laughs> They're all around, but breathing into the space and just like learning how to be into in a meditative space and let our loved ones come close. So when you did this, this investigation, this research, who were the people that you had come in and can I say, be your, I don't even know what the term is because I'm not a scientist, but who would be the people that participated in your research? Yeah. So participants. So perfect. You hit um, nail on the head. So I had in this particular study, it was 31 people. So I mostly do qualitative research, although I do mixed methods as well. So qualitative is very in-depth interviews. Quantitative is running statistical models. That's where we can get like the percentages. And that tends to be kind of higher level information. So not quite as deep, higher level information, but across a lot of people. So we can start to see what experiences are common across a population. So over 50% of Americans have had this, for example. So I took a different perspective doing qualitative and I did interviews. So I worked with 31 people. I reached them. I mean, I have a tiny little slice of, you know, the internet, a tiny little piece of Instagram. And so I just, you know, promoted it there. And then some colleagues from the mental health and mediumship space, some non-for-profits that I've worked with started, you know, sending it out. And ultimately, I mean, I'm a one woman show in my research right now. And so ultimately I had to kind of curb it because I had a timeline and then I had to tell people, you know, who were wanting to participate. As soon as I get grant funding, we will start the research back up. I promise. But it's at this point, it's like, there's so many people who are eager to tell their story. And for a lot of people, it was, I mean, really healing because yeah. for some people it was the first time that they shared it and shared it with somebody who wasn't looking at them like are you sure like really it was more like I believe you because this is happening to me as well 
And so to that end, the, the approach that I use in my research is what's qualitative, but the, so the approach is kind of like the viewpoint that you come from as a researcher. So I use something called community participatory based research, meaning the researcher is of the same community. And so instead of a researcher who hasn't had this perspective coming, which is most research on afterlife communications, it's somebody who's really fascinated by it and asks questions. Instead, me as a researcher, I come in with a vantage point of, okay, let's skip, you know, kind of the formalities and have a deep conversation. So I trust you. I know many of the people who participate I've known for years. We know each other's people on the other side, like some, you know, have been clients of mine, some have done readings for me. So it was a very in-depth process. I mean, a couple of the interviews lasted like three or four hours. They were... I mean, like thick data. Then we transcribe yeah. it all. And oh, by we, it's like me and my own hands. And I guess my spirit team fuel it through. But yeah, so the research, that research was very much like digging into the lived experience. That is so incredible that you have these people who are willing to be vulnerable and share their experiences. And I'm so, I was actually going to ask you, but you answered the question, how so many people, Lenore, found that experience of sharing and having someone who is open without judgment and there to just be a listening ear with compassion, how healing it can be to have people that are going to listen to you and to be able to even validate or say, Hey, you know what? I've been there. And there is a sense of community that is really needed for those that are grieving. And so what were the findings like people shared and what were some of the common experiences that you saw or recorded from these participants? Yes. So I've done a preliminary analysis. So used a thematic analysis to kind of parse out what are the major takeaways, the big themes. So with the first question, the two research questions, the first one is what is going on with this experience, right? So what does it look like? What does it feel like? That's the first question. And the second is what is the experience like over time? How does it impact and affect us? So with the first experience, it was really cool because there were Obviously, there were commonalities, but there were some interesting variations as well. So some of the variations were, you know, again, the question being explain your interaction with your loved one on the other side. How did this begin? For many of us, it began like the night they passed, the day they passed. For some of us, it was we realized we were having experiences before. And then for one person, it was so interesting. It was 14 years after her loved one passed that he began coming to her which I was really shocked by. And it was it was so exciting to speak to her. And she's and I asked her about her experience with it. And she said, obviously I did. But for her, her understanding was she had so many human things to live through and really traumatic things. And she had gotten to a place where there was some levity in life. Yeah. And the day, and again, like you said, Courtney, how fast spirit moves. It, she said, it was the day that I felt levity finally in my life. And all of a sudden he swoops in, he's in my body. And it was her partner and I, he's here. And she's like, he's having me relive these different memories and then giving me these messages. And I dream about him and I feel his body laying down next to me. And that was so interesting to hear for the most part about the lived experience. So what does it look like? For the most part, it happened really soon after the passing. I'd say that's the most common. But again, when we do this qualitative work, we can capture those really interesting, juicy outliers. In terms of what the communications looked like, again, there were some variations there. Some of us received physical signs, and I say us because I, I'm not a participant in the research, but again, it's so close to me because you know this is my experience too. Some, some received physical signs, you know, like that poignant 
something that was left on your path and how in the heck could that have ever gotten there? And it was, and oh my goodness, or all of a sudden your TV turns on and it's a show that you used to watch together and you didn't turn it on, all those things. So there were activities like that. But for the most part, there was variation then. So a lot of people talked about clairvoyant visions, waking up in the middle of the night, knowing they're not dreaming, but all of a sudden their person is standing in front of them and they can see them and they're having a conversation. For some people, it was dream communication. For a lot of people, it when this is my experience for, for the most part, meditation communication. So when you're in meditation, they come to yeah. you clairvoyantly, clairsentiently. Several people talked about telepathic communication. I call it call and receive. And it's kind of like that on top of each other. And they're you're having a conversation at light speed. And how could it be? Because they're talking to you in a way that's so fast that your brain doesn't move that way. Yeah. So those, and then I have quotes around all of that. And I'm writing up the article now. So I'll be posting the, on my website, I have my research lab tab, but I'll be posting the actual finding soon. So that's what it kind of looks like the experience. And then what happens with this experience? How does it affect us? Because again, the general population and probably the standard or traditional mental health perspective would say, you know, this is imagined, this is, you know, quote unquote crazy, you know, we should really have you assessed that, you know, that kind of perspective. And I won't say that's ubiquitous in mental health. My grief therapist was so supportive and she was really the first person to tell me that this is quote unquote normal, which it is, but, but yeah, so what happened with this? So this is the title of, of the study that I presented at the conference in Norway. It's chaos and it's peace. And that was a quote from one of my participants who the night that her fiance crossed over very tragically and traumatically without warning, all of a sudden she he's with her. And it's chaotic. Everything that I described before of grief is chaotic. Loss is chaotic. Traumatic loss is extremely chaotic. And then having these experiences, that's also chaotic. Like what is happening? Everything that was reality is no longer reality. There's a chaos and then there's a peace. There's a physical solace from feeling our person. There's a solace from the validations that we get when we can verify the messages that they've given us. Many of us, and I'll put myself in this group as well, said we would not have survived the loss of our loved one, we would not be here if we didn't have the communications. And part of that is there's no longer a fear of death on our side in the human form. Part of it is we know we're going to see them again. We'll all see our loved ones again. And the other is there's so, and I have goosebumps with this, but there's so much information that our loved ones give us through their communications, whether it's, you know, we're here, hold on, we're with you, we've got you, but also leading us and opening doors to our healing and our path forward. Like how this research path dropped into my lap. Like that did not come from my cognitive thinking brain that came at least influenced by something else, drawing on the database I already have in my brain. But they lead us forward to really incredible opportunities and ways of living and it brings reconciliation around their passing, but it also gives us insight into our purpose and why each of us individually is here. And what is our unique grain in the sand that we're living towards in this life? And it really helped us understand like life is just a flash. This life is a flash, even though grief feels eternal. And you know, in many ways, this will always be a part of us. It's embedded in us now, but it helps us live life in a meaningful way and live a life that we deem worth living with our loved one, very much a part of that healing, but also opening doors and imbuing light. 
That is empowering the words that you're saying for people that have and are experiencing grief, whether it be in the early stages or like one of the participants 14 years later, I feel like people need to look at grief as a journey. It doesn't have a start date and an end date and to really honor yourself through that entire process and through having that continued connection with your loved one Mm -hmm. that really can help support you in living. Yes. Yes. Because there's so many people when, you know, I, I do this work, I I'm, I'm not a doctor, but I am a medium and dealing with grief. It's, it is so transformative to see how the power of spirit communication can heal hearts and it can help inspire the living to find different ways of moving through the grief together with their loved one in spirit. And so, you know, even as somebody who's experienced grief, we find different ways to cope, but how incredible is it knowing that that potential and that ability to have that established connection with your loved one, it changes how we look at life after death or life after life, how I like to say, you know, and, and I'm curious, those people who have had communication with their departed loved ones, what would be some of the benefits that they kind of highlighted in the talks that they did with you? Hmm. Oh, such a good question. And there's so many. So some people were led towards like a different career path and one that really was close to home. And sometimes, and we talk about that in, in the mental health world about you know, post-traumatic stress and how we can have these epiphanies after something very stressful. I mean, loss of a loved one's stress is like stressful is the understatement of the year, but PTSD. So after something horrifically traumatic, oftentimes people find hope and meaning in addressing part of what happened to them so that it's almost like an advocacy or, you know, a healing through other people. So, you know, if someone who's lost someone, a mother who's lost a child to a drunk driver, they may join the Mothers Against Drunk Driving, for example. We see that a lot. I see that in the suicide loss community. I see that just in bereavement and grieving. And those of us who've gone through traumatic loss, we really want to have the grief world and the you know therapists and and you know spiritual spaces really understand what it's like to go through this and so there's a lot of advocacy that happens um but it's even more though with then finding meaning after after something traumatic because if when we're working with our loved one on the other side they're guiding us forward and so it's that we may find our space there and it may be kind of our own flavor right? That we're working in it. So there's that. So there's kind of, you know, a personal meaning, a purpose, and then sometimes it moves into a professional or career space. I'll speak to being a young widow. I'll speak to something that other widows talked about, and I identify with this very closely. So there's this kind of, you know, belief or even pressure. If you've lost a spouse, kind of the demarcation of being healed is that you're in another relationship. I know, like rolling our eyes, shaking our heads. Yeah. And then having this view of, I still have a relationship with my partner on the other side. The first question is, well, isn't, you know, isn't that scaring away, you know, other suitors or whatever, you know, deterring you really from, from falling in love again or finding another relationship. And something that came up when talking to other people who've lost a partner is by working with their loved one on the other side, A, they're healing through deep wounds of losing, again, not just your spouse, but so much of yourself. Yeah. But then also oftentimes, if it's someone's path to you know, be married again or have another relationship, for some people it is, for some people it isn't, for some people it's, it's over time. But oftentimes the partner on the other side is working with them 
to find the right person who gets them. And so I say all the time, you know, this is something I've just started talking about because it is so gentle and so sensitive being a widow who's lost their partner, especially, you know, in your, in in your thirties or, you know, whenever it is of, I could have, and we could have kind of ascribed to, you know, jumping into a relationship because that's what society expects of us. And then we're healed and it's all good because there's somebody else filling that hole. Or it's, I could take my time healing myself and my soul and opening up to the beautiful things in life. And then when the beautiful things in life and I feel good in my own body. And when I say I am really representing what other widows have said in their, in their research responses, then I'm in a place where, Oh my goodness, I'm attracting the kinds of souls that I want in my life that are going to continue helping me, you know, expand, level up, be happy, be good, be joyful, have light. And also not necessarily attracting trauma bonds. We're just looking for somebody to fill a void, right? So there's this, and then there's other ways that people talked about how this affected their life. I mean, I think the biggest umbrella is it makes us really good with who we are. Like I am, and I can say this as as I, and this is my experience, like I'm so aware and self-aware and so good with like boundaries and expressing myself because of this experience of really standing firm in both explaining the experience that happened with my husband, but also in kind of being, you know, the the spokesperson for this research and these studies. But I would say that my participants talked about it as well of like, I don't care anymore what people think, or, you know, people can judge me, but this is my truth. Or, you know, some people reconciled religious views that weren't in line with this experience. Some reconciled, you know, being either agnostic and atheist, and now they believe in something or being, you know, being in an institution of a religion and that aligns in a different way now or some people saying you know I was only scientific before and now I realize there's a science to this and so shifting worldviews shifting easier more aligned kind of lighter ways of being what I think is so powerful about the work that you're doing is that it incorporates the scientific to the spiritual and allows those two to really blend and support one another and I think that is like the secret sauce yeah I really do because when I started developing mediumship, let me back up, always seen them, but actually developing in training, I wanted to do it in such a way that people would know without a shadow of a doubt, this is their loved one communicating. It defies logic. This isn't stuff you can Google. And so when you repeat a certain, you know, set of steps and you get the same results, you know, that's the scientific theory, right? Okay, fine. That, that resonated with me. But there's so much work that's being done in the scientific community, particularly the AREI as well, with a lot of their equipment that they're doing with spirit communication and how it's actually almost becoming a little bit more mainstream where people are able to talk about it. But people are like, give me the meat, give me the potatoes, give me the proof. And what you're doing is giving people what they need to be able to one, have their experiences validated, but two, people are going to take them more seriously as well, because there is something that by the world standards, we use this to measure if this is real or not. So that's actually so incredible what you're doing. So I honor you for doing that because it's needed, Lenore. How do you feel like in your opinion, society and the mental health field can really support people in the grief when they're having these experiences? Mm, such a good question. 
So I did a presentation at another conference a few months ago. It was a psychology conference and also parapsychology. So parapsychology is like paranormal psychology, bringing the two. So what is the psychology of these experiences, um, et cetera. And the presentation was on my experience working with my grief counselor of what, and I actually saw two counselors for, for the first year. And then I continued on for another year with my second and what they did really well to support me. And, and I do believe that experience happens as it did to almost be kind of like a model for one possible way to go forward. They did a few things and this kind of then transfers over to the mental health community and especially therapists and, and counselors. They believed me and that was through just holding space. They didn't give me a look of like, you know, this, mm, or are you sure? Or, you know, whatever the, the kind of even silence, right? Could sometimes we can read the energy, we can feel it. And so they validated my experiences. They held, the second thing is they held space for me to effort for, for me to ask questions about my own mental health. I was, again, like my orientation was from you know, research and social work and not really then knowing this the, after the communication research yet. And so my greatest fear was okay, I'm having these experiences. I've already lost so much. I feel like I've lost everything. If I tell them what's happening, are the people in the white coats going to come and take me? And I didn't even know what that was. But again, like going back to like movies, what do I know about this, right? Are the people in the white coats going to take me and take me away from you know, my family and my sisters and my parents? And then I really lose everything. And they opened up the space for me to talk about those fears. And they assured me like, first of all, that's not legal. <laughs> and second of all, you're fine. Uh, but then the third thing of the you're fine is they helped me develop kind of a gauge of what are these experiences doing to my life and my livelihood. And all of a sudden there's like alarms going off outside and it just started like pouring rain. You're like, I don't know, somebody's in agreement with us. Okay. And my uh, cat is, my cat just started meowing too. <laughs> Like our environments are going crazy. Well, I, wild, right? And again, that word is you know something that I use in my own experience to describe myself. But I, you know, anyway, moving away from that. But then the third thing that they did, and actually, it's funny to bring it up, but I called this with my my therapist, my own therapist. It was like, can you tell me this is like you know like a nutty gauge or a crazy gauge? Like, how crazy is this? How wild? And working together, we sort of developed this informal gauge of what the experiences are doing in my life. Are they causing harm? Are they causing thoughts of self-harm? Are they causing me to think about harming someone else? No, 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 no. Okay. Are they, in this kind of dichotomous, and so the no's and the yeses, are they bringing clarity? Are they bringing hope? Are they exciting? Are they giving me some sort of meaning? Are they helping me understand my experience in a meaningful way? Yes, 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 yes. And so from a mental health practice perspective, is it doing good? Yes. Is it doing harm? No. And so that was kind of the gauge. And so looking at the mental health field, it's really holding space and safe, trustworthy space, helping people feel validated, and then helping them understand the meaning and unpacking the meaning of their experiences. Now, I would argue, now where I am in my research, there's another step. And this is where I'm going forth in my research and really in my practice, is there's a space for alignment and interactions and partnerships between the mental health world and the spirituality world. And bringing a normalization of, yes, like 
you might think about seeing a medium, even a therapist saying that is just huge. I mean, some people in my research are like, no, I don't want to tell my therapist that I see a medium because it's a fear of being judged. But if a medium, or I'm sorry, if a therapist were just to open up the conversation or, you know, a medium opening up a conversation about, have you thought about talking to a therapist as well, but opening up the door to just saying, have you thought about it? I mean, that's huge, but then even going deeper of ways to interact and, you know, and work together. And hopefully then from, and when I say hopefully, that's really me saying like, please, please, all the practitioners having been deeply trained in trauma-informed work, in grief-informed work, and hopefully then led by both somebody who has gone through the trauma and grief, but also has, you know, the scholarly or academic professional qualifications to lead that. That is so incredible what you're talking about, you know, where we can have psychologists or therapists say to people like, Hey, have you considered this? And I actually just recently had that. That was my first experience with a client. And I go, what really? And the, the client has said, yeah, they really felt like it would support me. And we had such a breakthrough session and I go, wow, spirit, thank you for that opportunity. And you know, if it can be with one doctor, one, one therapist, my God, it can, it can start to spread more and more. For those who are listening, who've experienced grief and have had an experience with their loved one after their transition, what words would you offer them for guidance, comfort, or support? You're not crazy. You're not imagining it. It's not just grief. And those are the things that we tell ourselves and the things that other people oftentimes tell us. And it's none of those things. It is a very real experience. And if we so choose to lean into it and learn how to develop that communication, like some of the workshops that I do is really teaching people, how do you develop this? Like, how do I have a more interactive relationship? And it's through meditation, it's through automatic writing, it's through, you know, different somatic healing techniques. But the more that you lean into it, A, the more power that comes into that relationship and B, the more kind of normalized in your own life it becomes and see the greater the insights are that flow through. And so it's like, we can turn to our loved ones in times when we're feeling stuck, in times where we need help, or just when we want to tune into them. And we really develop this different way of working with them. And then in turn, we develop a really different way of existing and life opens up in incredible ways. And so if it's happening to you, like that's amazing, and like celebrate it. Let's all celebrate this. This is so exciting. And our loved ones are so excited. We're not bothering them. We're never bothering them. They're so excited to talk to us. They're so excited to interact. And then also I would say, if you're having these experiences and then you experience a lull and you wonder, have they gone away? Because I think every one of us has experienced that. Know that no, they have not gone away. They never fully leave us. We all kind of evolve and move forward in our own ways of communicating and also in the things that we do and the tasks that we do and the jobs that we have and all these things, but they're always with us and we can always, always, always call on them. Beautiful words of support and encouragement that I feel are really going to help people, especially as we move into the holiday season, when we are missing our loved ones in spirit. Lenore, before we wrap up our talk today, could you let people know where they can find you and how they can get in touch with you? Yes, you can find me on my website, which is drlenormatthew.com. So D-R, then my name. I'm also on Instagram, on Facebook, on threads. And in all of those places, I list my workshops. I list my talks. I have tons of articles. And I also have a resources page where you can find out more about how to develop your abilities, 
grief resources, different kinds of grief as well. This is incredible, incredible work that you're doing and so inspired by the spirit world as well. Lenore, thank you so much for being on the show and for sharing your voice with my listeners. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Connected Spirit Podcast. I hope you enjoyed diving into this beautiful conversation. And if you loved what you heard, be sure to subscribe to my podcast and leave a review. Your feedback means the world to me, and it helps me reach more people who can benefit from these conversations. Remember, you're not alone in your spiritual journey. So stay connected with me on social media. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram. My handle is at Medium Courtney Dawson. You can also subscribe to my weekly newsletter, The Connected Spirit, and the link is in the show notes. Keep exploring, keep growing, and always remember that there's a greater purpose guiding you on this incredible journey. Until next time, stay connected and embrace the power of your spirit.